0: Whoa! Christ is risen,
1: indeed he is risen. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. As we're moving through the glorious and radiant season, the Paschal season of our Lord's resurrection, we have as always in the Byzantine liturgical calendar certain themes that usually land on the various Sundays, but those sometimes are in between the Sundays as well. And we have certain feast days and saints represented. But these Sundays usually have a particular theme to them that unfold the mystery and meaning of the resurrection experience, the resurrection event. This Sunday is a Sunday of the myrrh-bearing women, which we also commemorate Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who took down the body of Jesus Christ from the cross. And there are a lot of valuable insights that are brought to light through the liturgical observances of this particular Sunday, lots of things on many levels. First of all, the very fact that we focus upon people, men and women, mostly the women today, who are giving special care and attention to the body of Christ is significant in itself. Because the body of Christ is, of course, what we receive in the Eucharist. So the body of Christ, his very body, is significant. In the Eucharist, of course, it is truly the real presence of Christ, his blood, his body, soul, divinity. His entire being is, in fact, present, mystically present, which means physically, but also even beyond the physical in a way that is very, very extraordinary yet very, very real. So we have the reverence for the body of Christ already anticipating our reverence for the Eucharist, or what should be our reverence for the Eucharist. And that is something that I think from time to time we need to examine and, and shore up and strengthen. I think that in our world today, in the church today, East and West, that sometimes it's very easy to slip into a certain casualness about the body of Christ. And this season of Easter of the Paschal season, in which it's all about the sanctity of the body of Christ, the resurrected body of Christ, I think this is a great time to focus and renew our sense of the Eucharist. And we have these people put before us to help us do that, these women who really were very brave and courageous, as the liturgical text and the scripture say, who came at night or early, early in the morning at certain risk. Yeah, they they risked themselves because remember, they were part of Christ's entourage, and Christ was put on the cross. So therefore, he and his entourage, most of whom were hiding, were enemies of the people of the temple, the elders of the temple, and also of the Roman administration at the time. So they risked coming out at night, also being women coming out at night, but they came courageously. In fact, the liturgical text used the word, they showed manly strength. They triumphed over the weakness of womanhood. Now, By that, we don't mean women are weak per se. There's an actual meaning to that, which hopefully we'll get to today. If not, we'll get to another program. But the point is, is that these women were courageous and strong. And why were they? Because their devotion, their sense of the holiness of the body of Christ that they just saw being tortured and beaten and bloodied and finally dead, that reverence they had for that body actually transcended any fear or cost to themselves. Now, there's a lesson for us, and that's why we put their lesson, or the church does, in her geniusness, puts it in front of us. And we look at these women as our examples. We also look at Joseph and Marthea, who went to the authorities to get the body of Jesus. Now, they too could have been captured as well and persecuted, maybe even crucified. But they went courageously to ask for the body, to give it proper reverence. So the reverence for the body of Christ is part of what is put before our eyes today through these figures of the women, Joseph, Arimathea, and Nicodemus. It's a reminder for us to renew our vision of the body of Christ, because that's everything. You know, I can tell everything about you. You can tell everything about me by asking one question. What do you believe, really believe, about the Eucharist? The Eucharist is that body of Christ, but also with that, it provides for us an entire fundamental vision, the entire ethos for life, the truth about life. And we take that vision, we take that grace, that union that we are privileged to have with the body of Christ in the Eucharist, we take that, or we should take it, to every dimension of our life, starting with our own personal lives and our households. We carry with us a Eucharistic vision, the sanctity of the body that we see in Christ, we take that vision to the sanctity of all bodies, all created matter, and especially the human person, the human body person. We take it to our sense of the Eucharist, of church, of liturgy, of community. And from that vision, we know how we are to approach and relate to all created matter, especially to the human body person. I use those two words together, hyphenated, body slash person, because we are our bodies, but our bodies reveal our persons, as St. John Paul II would teach in his theology of the body. So this entire Paschal season draws our attention to the holiness of creation, of our own bodies, and above all, of the body of Christ, And for us, as we see and experience the body of Christ in the Eucharist, through the Eucharist, we can touch God. Imagine, we can touch God, not just read about him, not just hear about him, not just feel him, but actually touch him as those holy women sought to do, to touch it reverently. They say in the scripture that the spices weighed about 100 pounds. Can you imagine that? They had to walk there at night to bring that ointment to anoint that body. There's other things that are brought to our mind as well, especially through the liturgical text of this day, this day of the myrrh-bearing women in the Byzantine calendar. Let's look at a few of these texts. First of all, here's one that says this, "'Why do you sprinkle your myrrh with tears, O women disciples? The stone is rolled away and the tomb is empty. Behold, life has triumphed over death. The seals give brilliant witness that the guards of the godless have watched in vain.'" that mortal nature has been saved by the flesh of God, and that Hades is in mourning. Hasten and joy, proclaiming to the apostles that Christ, the conqueror of death, is the firstborn of the dead. He shall go before you into Galilee. Now, there's a lot here. First of all, the women are crying. It's interesting. we sprinkle your, your myrrh with tears. How very descriptive and poetic. And then it talks about the stone, Now, something about the stone, though, there's a detail there, a particular word the seal. The seal of the stone. In other words, not only was the stone rolled there, but it was sealed. The seals give brilliant witness that the guards of the godless have watched in vain. In other words, you can't doubt the resurrection because the guards could not have opened the stone, it was sealed. And in fact, a lot of scripture scholars, when they research this, they tell us that probably the way the stone was set in front of the opening of the tomb was that there was a hole or a ditch dug, and then the stone was rolled into that ditch. Now, those of you who live in areas like we do, where you have lots of winter snow and snowstorms and deep snow, you probably have had the experience of of getting your car stuck in the snow. And usually what happens is that round tire with all that power behind it from the engine of the car, as powerful as it is, if it gets down into a little trough, a little ditch, and it goes even a third of the way up or even halfway up the tire, you're dead. You're gone. You're not getting out of there. No matter how hard you try. In fact, the harder you try, as we all know, especially here in the Midwest, the deeper you go in the ditch. You have to be towed out. Well, think of that kind of power being applied to the opening of the tomb. That's probably how they would have closed it up. So no one person could have opened that tomb. Certainly not these women, nor could the guards have opened it. So we have a little bit of a historical proof here that comes through the liturgical text. Now, then it also says here that mortal nature has been saved by the flesh of God and that Hades is in mourning. Hasten and joy, proclaiming to the apostles that Christ, the conqueror of death, is the firstborn of the dead. It's interesting, especially on this day that we highlight womanhood, the myrrh bearing women, that it was to the women, and history will always proclaim, will always note, that it was to the women that the first message of the resurrection was entrusted. Because, as St. John Paul II says in his document on womanhood, He says that the human person has, in fact, been entrusted by God to womanhood in a very special way. We are born from womanhood, and we are entrusted in a special way to womanhood. And that message of life and love, Christ entrusted first to womanhood. And he instructed them to do something that was consistent to womanhood to their sense of being connected with the proximate environment, with the immediate community, as women are. He told them to take the message. He told the women, if you note, again, it's always in the details of Scripture. He told the women to take that message of the resurrection to the immediate community, to the family, to the apostles. And he said, hasten in joy, proclaiming to the apostles that Christ, the conqueror of death, is the firstborn of the dead. He shall go before you into Galilee. We're going to talk about that word Galilee when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East.
0: Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by writing a check to Light of the East and mail it to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Willcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois 60491. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Wednesday, April 29th at 7 p.m. Hear Juliana Tamarazzi of the Iraqi Christian Relief Council share with us the story of persecuted Christians in our world. Learn their real story. Wednesday night, April 29th at 7 at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Complete details on the events calendar on the homepage at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com, sponsored by Respect Life Ministries of the Orland Park Parishes of Our Lady of the Woods, St. Francis of Assisi, and St. Michael, and the Homer Glen Parishes of St. Bernard and Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the
1: East. Glory to Jesus Christ. Hello, I'm Father Thomas Loya of the Tabor Life Institute. I'm inviting you to an opportunity to be pierced by the sheer beauty of God's plan for
0: your life, to make the connection between God, sex, and the meaning of life. As Father Loya invites you to hear renowned speaker and author Christopher West, Saturday, April 25th at St. Mary Immaculate Parish in Plainfield, Illinois. Original sin for all of us, for every human being on the planet, has disoriented our desires. We often find ourselves hungry for things that don't satisfy the ache, don't satisfy the need. Join Christopher Saturday, April 25th from 6.30 till 9.30 p.m. at St. Mary Immaculate Parish, 15629 South Route 59, Plainfield, Illinois. Limited seating. Register online to coreseminar.evenbright.com. Core spelled C-O-R, Bright spelled B-R-I-T-E.
1: Christ is risen, indeed he is risen. Welcome back to Light of the East. Light, yes, that's a great word today. Light, as we call this the time of the radiant resurrection. We use lots and lots of light. We use bright colors and white and candles and our singing is bright and at a very lively pace and the liturgical text are so triumphant. It's just, it's just wonderful. It's just marvelous. And we're looking at some of those liturgical texts on this day of womanhood in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, along with a couple of men, Joseph, Arimathea, and Nicodemus, because the point here is womanhood in relation to the body of Christ. Now, we're going to look at a couple other texts because they give us a lot of information, but at first we're going to finish up with something we started before the break, this name, one word, Galilee, where the prayer here says that he shall go before you into Galilee. Now, think about Galilee and why this is being mentioned now. Why would Jesus say, I'll meet you in Galilee? Well, he, he predicted that before his death and resurrection, and he could have said Jerusalem, could have said Bethlehem, he could have said uh, a lot of places, but he said Galilee, because Galilee was, so to speak, the good old days. Remember that? around nazareth the sea of galilee the fishing and all the teaching and the lessons when the apostles were first learning and experiencing this jesus christ this master this teacher this compassionate one this wise one this this man of mystery and of love and of patience the man who could calm the sea those were the good old days and little by little he began to then predict to them that there will be harder days but galilee represented the good days And so he calls them back to those days, that place where days were good, where things were beautiful and peaceful and wonderful and mysterious and full of everything good. He calls them back there after he has made everything good again, by his resurrection from the dead, after he has renewed all things. So we always look in the liturgy and in the scriptures at what I call the details. Let's look at some more text for some more details. Here's one. Joseph asked for the body of Jesus. He placed it in his own new tomb. It was fitting for the Lord to come forth from the tomb as from a bridal chamber. You destroyed the dominion of death. You opened the gates of paradise to the human race. Glory to you, O Lord. Well, again... We look at the details. Joseph asked for the body of Jesus. Now, we already mentioned that was courageous in his part, showing the reverence for the body of Christ, which is a reminder to us during this time of renewal to renew our attitude towards the body of Christ in the Eucharist. He placed it in his own new tomb. New tomb. We'll use another word for that. Virginal tomb. Now, this harkens back to Christ's birth. He came into the world through a virginal womb. And he rises from the dead. He's buried and rises from the dead from a virginal tomb. And it was fitting, it says, for the Lord to come forth from the tomb as from a bridal chamber. So we have this idea of a virginal spouse coming from a bridal chamber. Why a bridal chamber? Because his death on the cross. Was a mystical nuptial reality where the bridegroom, the new Adam, consummates mystically the marriage with the bride, the new Eve. His mother, now personifying for us the new Eve, he consummates that mystical marriage on the cross, spends himself, offers his very body fully, freely, fruitfully, faithfully to his bride, as does a husband in the bridal chamber, and then he emerges from there and fills the women with joy, as the texts say. So you destroy the dominion of death. You open the gates of paradise to the human race. Glory to you, O Christ. Here's another text. At the coming of grace, O virgin, the shadow of the law passed away. For as the bush, though burning, was not consumed, you, though giving birth, still remained a virgin. In place of the pillar of fire, in place of the pillar of fire, the son of righteousness shone forth. Instead of Moses, Christ the salvation of our souls appeared. Now here we have another example of those many examples of the allegorical use of the scripture, characteristic of the Eastern lung of the church. We love allegory, we love metaphor. And here you see some allegories for the Virgin Mary, such as the burning bush. Bush was burned, but not consumed. And then it says, in place of the pillar of fire, remember that led the Israelites, the son of righteousness shone forth. Instead of Moses, Christ, the salvation of our souls appeared. So what's happening here is we're reading back here into the Old Testament by way of the New Testament and after the resurrection of Christ, because now everything makes sense. Now we look back into it and we see all the hints And what was in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, now gives way, was actually just pointing to what would become and be fulfilled in the New Covenant, the New Testament, especially when Christ made all things new by his death and resurrection. So instead of Moses, it is the new Moses, it is Christ. Instead of the pillar of fire, the Son of Righteousness shone forth. All right, let's go on to look at some other great text here. Here's one that refers to the men now. We've been talking about the women's, basically ladies' day here, but there's also some men as well, Joseph and Nicodemus. So the text here says, O Lord, who clothes yourself with light as with a garment, Joseph and Nicodemus took you down from the cross, and seeing you without life, without a garment, without a grave, In their compassion they wept and lamented, Woe is me, my sweet Jesus! The sun was covered with darkness when it saw you suspended upon the cross. The earth quaked with fear, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. I see that you willingly endured death for my sake. How then shall I bury you, O my God? With what linen shall I cover you? With what hands shall I touch your most pure body? What hymns! shall I sing at your death. Therefore, O compassionate Lord, I glorify your passion, and I praise your burial and your resurrection, crying out, O Lord, glory to you. Okay, now this prayer was a little bit longer, but full of all kinds of good things. And one of the things you're seeing here is that fusion of the scriptural theological with the human Now, in the Eastern liturgy, in the Eastern churches, we don't focus as much as in the West on the human or naturalistic dimension of things. Nothing wrong with that. We need that. That's that's part of the Western genius. We do focus on those things in the East. It's just that not as much as in the West. And when we do, we always accompany it with a mystical dimension. Again, we're not saying this is better than the West. We're just saying that it's different, characteristic of the East. And here you have the emotions, the human emotion of Joseph and Nicodemus, as you hear them contemplating this mystery and saying, woe is me, my sweet Jesus. Now that's a phrase you seldom hear in the Eastern churches, is sweet Jesus. The sun was covered with darkness when it saw you suspended upon the cross. The earth quaked with fear. So you see, they're going through all of the incredible phenomenon. They're trying to understand it, and they're expressing their own emotion, asking, how shall I bury you? With what hymn shall I sing at your death? So In this liturgical text, we see what hopefully is also our human dismay at the sight of this pure Savior having suffered and without even a tomb to be buried in. Just as he had no place to rest his head at his birth, there was no place at the inn, there is no place to rest his dead body. So Joseph offers his own virginal tomb to Jesus as he contemplates the incredible mystery and with such incredible sorrow of the death and this lifeless body of this pure and holy Jesus Christ in his midst. It's a very, very rich passage. I like the way that from time to time, the Eastern churches and our liturgy, we we put together the very human part, but always with the mystical or theological part. Let's go on to another text. And again, a lot of these are from the Matins in liturgy and Vesper service of this day, this day of the myrrh-bearing women. We praise you, O Mother of God, for you are covered with glory more than any other. Death has been put to death, and Hades trampled underfoot. By the cross of your Son, He raised us from death, granting us eternal life. Paradise is again offered for us to enjoy as before. Therefore, in thanksgiving, we glorify the love and power of Christ our God. Okay, the great line there is this. Paradise is again offered for us to enjoy as before. Now, very significant. The resurrection of Christ, among many things, unites our origins, what St. John Paul II would call original man, our original innocence, with what he would call the eschatological man, our ultimate destiny. Just as it says in this short phrase from the prayers here, we did have paradise. We did have this purity. We had this integration, this wholeness, this happiness, and we lost it. Now it's being returned to us. Christ reaches back into that original plan, but through his resurrection, he actually takes us beyond, to an even greater destiny. How will be exactly, we don't know. But we certainly get a hint of it from Christ's resurrected body and his subsequent appearances, his post-resurrection appearances to the apostles and disciples and the women, where they didn't at first recognize him, but then eventually they did because he was the same yet different as we will be. How exactly will be, we don't know, but it will be glorious and will be intact again, integrated. Body and soul back together again, as it always was meant to be. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Christ is risen. Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Willcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years.